look first at First um, John chapter one, verses five through ten. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Thank God. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is obviously an exhortation to walk in the light. And walking in the light is not about sinless perfectionism, is it? It's about a life of confession and repentance before God. Staying in the light is uh, the title of this message and the subject this morning. And as I was studying, I was led to um, Psalm 32, which is a psalm that I really had not paid much attention to, uh, but it became very meaningful as I studied further for this message. It's a teaching of King David on the subject of staying in the light. And so let's turn there now and read Psalm 32. If you don't have a Bible, uh, Debbie has printed it on the cover of this morning's uh, bulletin. The, the version she, she, uh, she typed is uh, the New King James. Is that right, Deb? And uh, I'll be reading from the New American Standard. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to thee and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not reach him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou dost preserve me from trouble. Thou dost surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which has no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many indeed are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. What a great psalm. 
How many of you would say this is one of your favorite psalms? That's great. I was mentioning what I was preaching on to Deb, and she said that this indeed is one of her favorite psalms. Interestingly, this was one of St. Augustine's favorite psalms as well. He um, had it inscribed on his bedroom wall as he lay sick and dying so that he could recite it to himself. And when he became too weak to recite it himself, he enlisted others to recite it to him. In fact, he's credited with a quote that says this, the beginning of wisdom is to know oneself to be a sinner. The beginning of wisdom is to know oneself to be a sinner. My goal this morning is to not preach so much as to let the scriptures teach us what they want to say. Let's, let's uh, try, try to get a copy, use your bulletin or someone's Bible. Uh, if you don't have one, uh, look on with someone or, or steal it from them. But I really think that we need to pray for a sensitivity to God's word, to let God's word just impact our hearts, okay? Could we just pause and do that together? Father, we remember that your word says that it does not return void, but it accomplishes that for which it has been sent. We remember that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We remember, Lord, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word abides forever. We pray for a deep sensitivity now, Lord, and a deep hunger for extracting the nuances of your word uh, in Psalm 32 here, and let it change us, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So let's let David, King David, teach us in this psalm about forgiveness and about staying in the light. Uh, you might notice in your Bible that this is called, in the introduction to this psalm, it's called a maskil. A maskil is a, um, a poetic term. It means like a con contemplative or a didactic psalm, often put to music. And so this psalm is meant to teach us. It's labeled. It's one of 13 psalms out of 150 that are called a maskil. It uses a Hebrew device of poetry called uh, synonymous parallelism. It's when a line is stated and then that line is reinforced with a very similar line, although there might be a synonym used somewhere in the second line to bring a richer meaning, a fuller understanding, a fuller comprehension. Sometimes there are two lines that do that, sometimes there are three. And I'm going to show you um, five sets of three synonymous parallelisms in this, in this uh, psalm. You'll also notice that it starts with the word, words, how blessed is he. And blessed, as you may remember, I remember Jim preaching on Matthew 5 a couple of years ago, and he talked about this word blessed, and what does it mean? It means, it means congratulations to the one who, 
or how happy is the one who, how fully satisfied, or oh, the supreme happiness of the one who, oh, the bundle of blessings that come to the one who, and then it's explained. So let's look at verses 1 and 2, and I want you to, first of all, key in on the words that are used for, uh, for sin. Specifically, there's three. The first word is transgressions. The second is sin, and the third is iniquity. Now, transgressions are acts of defiant disobedience against God, acts of conscious, defiant disobedience against God. Number two, sin is to miss the mark or fall short of God's path or standard. We've often heard that definition um, as we've grown up in the Lord. Iniquity refers to that twisted part of our human nature, that deformed or perverted or are bent towards sin. Sometimes, maybe you've had this experience, you You want to confess and repent and be clean before the Lord, but you can't think of any particular sins that you feel are are right to confess. You're just not sure, but you want to repent anyway. I think that's our spirit reaching out to God and saying, I want to repent of that, just that twisted nature within me that that I can't seem to control Uh, completely. Spurgeon said, Spurgeon described uh, these three descriptors of sin as the three-headed dog barking at the gates of hell. Isn't that interesting? The three-headed dog barking at the gates of hell. Spurgeon's description of these three types of sin. And then also in verses 1 and 2 are the three expressions of God's forgiveness. We come across the words forgiven, covered, and not imputed. The word forgiven means to lift a heavy burden and carry it away. The word covered means to put out of sight so as never to be seen again, like buried in the depths of the sea. Let's look at Micah 1.7 just to uh, get a feel for that. Excuse me, Micah 7, 19. It says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Our sins have been covered over by Jesus Christ if we confess and repent, and they are never to be seen again. They are in the deepest part of the sea. And then the last one is not imputed. This term means that uh, our sins have been erased from the account of our sin debts. And we know from this side of the cross that instead has been substituted what? the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God through him. Hallelujah. 
So three types of sin, three expressions of God's forgiveness are in the first one and two verses. And then you'll note at the end of verse two, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I think it's good to pay attention to that line because, again, it's, it's reinforcing the idea like we read in 1 John that, that righteousness is not about sinless perfectionism. It's, it's about no hiding, no deceit, and authenticity in our, in our walk with the Lord, transparency and walking in the light and walking in confession. Here's a quote from a preacher named Brian Bill. He says this, David says that God does all this for the one in whose spirit is no deceit. That doesn't mean someone who has no faults, but rather refers to those who readily admit their sins. It's the idea of authenticity. It means that we are not deceitful in acknowledging our sin. Listen carefully. The key to the Christian life is not our personal holiness, but our repentance. It's not a matter of trying to be perfect, but recognizing that we're not. We need to fully admit that we are twisted transgressors and selfish sinners. Far too many of us are dishonest about our sins. Think about how often we say, I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that, instead of just saying, you know, I sinned. I'm, I'm sinning in this area. We, we come up with these euphemisms to kind of lighten uh, what we're really doing. Uh, just to throw that out there for you. You might disagree with uh, Pastor Bill's uh, elevating repentance above holiness, but, but still absorb his point that, that without repentance, holiness is really not possible that repentance is a key. It's a key, staying in the light, walking in the light, not being deceptive about who you are or about your sin. All right, let's look at verses 3 and 4. And here David is talking about um, when he keeps silent about his sin, the consequences of staying in the darkness, actually. You'll see there that he says... Um, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. So I labeled these three uh, consequences of staying in the darkness as physical deterioration, heaviness of spirit, and a loss of vitality. Physical deterioration, obviously we can think of uh, sins that affect us bodily, like homosexually induced AIDS, or uh, cirrhosis of the liver, if you're an, you know, from alcoholism, or um, sexually transmitted diseases from promiscuity. Uh, I don't know if David is referring to any of these, or. Um, but uh, certainly sin affects our physical bodies many times. Then heaviness of spirit. How many of you, in fact, I, I would bet all of you, 
have experienced the heaviness of the hand of the Lord, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when you've tried to uh, cover your sin, or you've tried to uh, just, just not confess it, the, the jealous hand of God comes and just rests on you and grinds you until, uh, until you confess that sin and, and burst forth. How many of you can say, yeah, that has happened to me? Yeah, that heaviness of spirit. Let's turn to Psalm 38, 1 through 8, and read about David, a time that he was feeling this heaviness of spirit. Psalm 38, 1 through 8, he said, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, and chasten me not in thy burning anger. For thine arrows have sunk deep into me, and thy hand has pressed down on me. What an image. What an image. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden they weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long, for my loins are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am benumbed and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. What a description of the heaviness of sin when God's hand is upon us and we refuse to repent. And then back to Psalm 32 at the end of verse 4. There's a loss of vitality that David describes. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Boy, that is something we can relate to as Oklahomans, isn't it? Uh, Tom and Brian and some of the boys and I went on a canoe trip recently up in, up in Canada, and it was rainy and cold. Uh, we were eating lunch the first day, and rain, we're soaked to the skin, and rain is dripping off our noses while we try to eat some sausage that's soggy as well from the rain. And uh, Brian said, Man, we're having a good time, aren't we? <laughs> uh, he was our cheerleader uh, during the trip. But when I came home and got off the plane and, and uh, got, came out the, the doors of the Tulsa airport, boom, you know, that fever heat of summer. And it was, it was nighttime. So you guys know how that can hit you. Let's move on to verse 5. Three action steps to stay in the light. First of all, acknowledgement of our sin. Second, exposure of our sin. And third, confession of our sin. I acknowledged my sin to thee, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and thou didst forgive the guilt of my sin. Acknowledgement and um, 
not hiding our sin might be so close as to not be separated. But I'll treat them as though they're separate. You know, acknowledgement, in my mind, is no more excuses. We call sin, sin. And we, we mentally make a decision to face it head on instead of making excuses. If you would turn back to 1 John chapter 1, and I want to uh, read verses 8 and 10 in this regard. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 10, acknowledging our sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Back to Psalm 32, David says, And my iniquity I did not hide. Again, jumping back to 1 John chapter 1, looking at verses 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I've always liked Proverbs 28.13 that talks about trying to conceal our transgressions. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And then the last of these is confession. David confesses his sin to the Lord, and I want you to hear how David does it from Psalm 51. I know you're familiar with this psalm, but um, let's read some verses together from Psalm 51, and listen to David, how he confesses sin and asks for forgiveness. He starts out like the penitent sinner in the parable from Jesus. Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. How many of you can relate to that line? My sin is ever before me. I know my weaknesses. I know my faults. I know my sins. Against thee, thee only, I have sinned and done what is evil in thy sight so that thou art justified when thou dost speak and blameless when thou dost judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, thou dost desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part thou wilt make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And then these beautiful verses. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know, that's one sin that I think uh, many of us many of us commit is just not having a steadfast spirit toward the Lord. Do not cast me away from thy presence and do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners will be converted to thee. What a beautiful expression of seeking God's forgiveness and confessing his sins. And then verses 6 through 11 of Psalm 32 comprise the last three. And these are promises of God when we stay in the light. And you will find these beautiful. First of all, verse 6 let everyone who is godly pray to thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not reach him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou dost preserve me from trouble. Thou dost surround me with songs of deliverance. The first of these three is the promise of his protection. His protection. I, was, uh, I pulled a sheet from a sermon long ago I did on making God our refuge, just to remind you of the many words in the Psalms that David uses to talk about how God is his protection. He says, the Lord is my dwelling place, the Lord my refuge, the Lord my shelter, the Lord my secret place. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord my hiding place. The Lord my stronghold, the Lord my rock, the Lord my light, the Lord my fortress, the Lord my shade, the Lord my keeper, the Lord my strength, the Lord my shadow, the Lord my tabernacle, the Lord my tower, and the Lord my salvation. God promises us that if we will walk in confession and in repentance that he will be our protector. Now, we know that doesn't mean that we will never face hardship, but it means that he will see us through. He will see us through those hard things. Secondly, let's look at verse 8 where God promises his instruction. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. This speaks to me of God's promise that we will have a sensitivity to God and an intimacy in personal relationship with God if we will but walk in the light. Again, not sinless perfectionism, but just honest confession and repentance before the Lord. That if we do that, we will have that sensitive relationship with God where it will only take a flutter of his eye 
to guide us. The King James says, I will guide you with mine eye. Isn't that beautiful? What a promise. And then last, in verses uh, 10 and 11, he promises his love and joy surrounding us. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. To rejoice means to spin around with glee. And uh, we see Lily do that all the time, don't we? She just, she'll just stand there and she'll get so happy, she'll just start spinning around and just enjoying the moment. Zion is a little different. He just starts running in place. That's, that's when he gets happy, he just starts running in place. And it's so cute when they both do it together. Now, I want to ask you to note verse 9 here. It says, Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them back. Otherwise, they'll, they'll not come near to you. Meaning, if you don't have a bridle or a bit on a mule or a donkey, it'll run away from you. You can't, you can't keep it close. And so the Lord is saying to us, don't be like that. Don't make me bridle you. Don't make me. I, I want you close of your own free will. I want, I want you close to me. I don't want to have to discipline you excessively. And uh, what I want to point out to you here is that when we read these verses about bit and bridle, um, we think that he's, he's saying, he's talking about gen, general sinfulness. Don't be sinful. Don't be... Um, stupid, such that I have to uh, put a bit on you or a bridle. But many commentators believe that he's actually, David is actually saying, don't be stupid about confession. Don't not confess. Don't not uh, repent, but be quick to confess. He's talking in verse 3 and verse 4 about that, isn't he? And so taken in context, there might be a strong argument that that is the case. Let me read you what one commentator says. He says, while it's possible that the psalmist is referring to stubborn sinfulness in general, the more immediate implication of the words is to be found in the stubborn resistance to confession itself, already stated in verses 3 and verse 4. It's an interesting perspective, isn't it? So I want to take an opportunity this morning to invite you to stay in the light. Look at verse 6. This is kind of the linchpin of the verse, of the, of the chapter. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to thee in a time when they mayest be found. And so here is a call to prayer, but it's not a call to just any kind of prayer. It's a call to prayers of confession and acknowledging our sin to God and repentance. We can be like those mules when it comes to confession and say, I'll do it later. Um, or we can be like Peter, who when Jesus said, if, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me, what was Peter's response? He said, 
not just my feet, Lord, but my hands and my head. In other words, just all of me right now, all of me right now, dear Lord. So let me ask you, do you want songs of deliverance around you? Do you want the loving kindness and mercy of the Lord surrounding you? These are promises from these scriptures. Do you want gladness and rejoicing? Do you want that spinning around and that running in place? Do you want a spirit in whom there is no deceit because you're authentic? All this and more is promised in these scriptures if we will but acknowledge and confess our sins to God. Do you want to love the Lord? He who is forgiven much loves much. I want to ask Hallett to come and play some songs, and I want to open the altar. You don't have to come to the altar to show that you've, you know, that these words have meant a lot to you. You can, you can pray in your chair. You can kneel at your chair, walk in the back. But I do want to open up the altar for those who would like to come. And as you wait upon God and say, God, what, what would you like me to confess? I want you to remember the three types of sin uh, that might help you, give you a roadmap for praying through as you wait upon the Lord. Again, transgressions, those, those acts of conscious defiance against God. And then sin, just failing to... Uh, just falling short of God's standards, sins of omission, sins of commission. Maybe you haven't been steadfast in your pursuit of the Lord. Uh, maybe you feel like God would have you uh, working at a higher standard in ministry or evangelizing or so on. You just feel that you've fallen short. And then there's always good old iniquity. Forgive that expression, but when you don't know what to do, you can confess and ask God, would you forgive me, dear Lord, for that twisted part of my sinful, that, that sinful nature in me, that twisted part that always seems to crop up and go the wrong way. So I want to invite you to bow your heads and come to the front if you'd like, and let's just spend five or ten minutes, just you and God, uh, confessing sin, asking for his forgiveness. What a great service if we had worship, prayer, confession, repentance, and joy. We can have all these things. So please don't hesitate. In your own way, begin to seek God and confess your sins to him and be cleansed.
Ready to do your will. 